Would you like to know the secret of contentment? Would you like to be satisfied, content with your life? Now, not complacent, but content. You know, I think most would. But we feel that it's out of reach, and maybe that's because we're constantly reaching for it. Well, Paul found it. And he shared the secret of contentment with the Philippians when thanking them for a gift they sent to him. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul rejoiced greatly when Epaphroditus arrived in Rome. Not only did he bring greetings from Paul's friends in Philippi, he also brought a financial gift. I'm sure Paul was pleased to receive it and was able to put it to good use. You know, we really don't know his financial condition in Rome. Apparently he had some resources because he was allowed to live under guard in his own rented quarters, but funds, no doubt, were limited. Now, he had supported himself on the mission field as a tent maker rather than accept money from those to whom he was preaching. He didn't want to give the impression that he was preaching for personal gain. However, when funds were given to him from existing churches, He quit making tents and went to preaching and teaching full-time. The church in Philippi had thus supported his ministry on a couple of occasions and had now sent funds by the hand of Epaphroditus to help Paul in Rome. Now, obviously, he was grateful that they had renewed their concern for him. Literally, he said their concern for him had blossomed again. It had seemed dormant for a time, but he recognized that was only because they lacked the opportunity to do something for him. But now they had seized the opportunity and had openly expressed their love and their concern for him again. And that brought him much joy. But Paul quickly moves to make sure they don't get the idea that he expects them to do more that he needs more. He makes it very clear that he greatly appreciated their gift, but he really didn't need it because he had learned to be content. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. 
Paul said he didn't speak from want. He wasn't in any need that he really didn't need what they sent. Now, that seems a bit strange, doesn't it? As a prisoner, surely he had needs. Besides, doesn't everyone have needs? We have lots of needs. And the number keeps increasing. At the turn of the 20th century, there were 16 things that Americans considered absolutely necessary. By 1976, that number had jumped to 98. Now, the most recent research I can find on the topic doesn't give a total number, but simply notes that the list of things we think we need made a substantial leap between 1996 and 2006. Many of the things previously thought to be luxuries became necessities. And things that didn't even exist, like the Internet and cell phones, were added to the list of things we just could not live without. The bottom line is we think we need lots of things. How often have have we said, I need, I need a new outfit, I need a new car, I need a new phone. We're programmed to think we need lots of stuff. When we had kids at home, they tired of me saying, you don't need that. Matt's typical response was, why do we have to need it? I just want it. He's honest anyway. Well, Paul didn't even speak from want. Not that he didn't appreciate what was given to him, but he wasn't in need. He didn't sense a need for anything. Why? Because he had learned to be content in whatever circumstance he might find himself. He was content, even in prison. Now, that contentment doesn't just happen. He had learned to be content. Contentment is not automatic. We are selfish by nature, and we always want more. We have to learn to be content. How Paul learned to be content, he doesn't say. Maybe, maybe like King Solomon, he had discovered that contentment can never be found in the quest for something more. Because <laughs> you always want more. I think it was Rockefeller, or one of the uh, uh, wealthy barons of the past, was asked, how much is enough? And he said, a little more. A little more. We always think we want a little more. But contentment can never be found in a quest for something more. You either have contentment or you don't. And your circumstances, even your possessions, have very little to do with your contentment. Contentment is something that's inside you. Something that is, quite frankly, totally within your control. 
In fact, the word for contentment actually means self-sufficient. Now, the Stoics use the word to describe a state of mind in which a man was absolutely and entirely independent of all things and all people. A state of mind in which a man had taught himself to need nothing and to need no one. They generally sought to achieve that self-sufficiency by eliminating all desire, all emotion, and all feeling. They sought to develop an I-don't-care attitude that would protect them from everything. Now, obviously, that is not a good attitude to foster. For as one historian noted, the Stoics made of the heart a desert and called it peace. That's not what Paul is advocating here. But he is saying that contentment is something that can be learned. And that it's not dependent upon circumstances. It's learning to get along, no matter what. And Paul said, I know how. (laughs) I know how to get along with humble means. And I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. How many times have you heard someone say, we were poor but didn't know it? How many couples cling to Fond memories of their first apartment. Macaroni and cheese. And a broken down car. Happiness isn't dependent upon having lots of stuff. And neither is contentment. Paul knew how to get along with humble means. But he also knew how to live in prosperity and Believe it or not, that is often more difficult. We think prosperity will bring us happiness and contentment, but soon discover that it just brings us more headaches and heartaches and hurts. How many lives have been destroyed by winning the lottery? Just as some might dream of winning a fortune, others who have often dream of simpler days. Neither humble means nor prosperity guarantees contentment. In either case, you have to accept what you have and find joy in it without always looking for something else. Paul had experienced both extremes. He had been a wealthy, powerful man, a member of the Sanhedrin. And he had been a hated, hunted, and hungry man. He had been there and had been content in both places. He had learned to be content in any and every circumstance. He knew how to be content, whether his stomach was filled or empty, whether he had abundance or was actually in need. 
And it's not easy to be content in either extreme. Have you ever been to a buffet with your belt loosened and stomach hurting and still wishing you could eat just one more piece of pie? (laughs) On the other hand, it's obviously not easy to be content when your stomach is growling. But Moses and Elijah and Jesus all fasted for 40 days. As far as we know, they were content to do so. Paul said he could be content, filled or hungry. He had learned a secret that enabled him to get along with much or little. What was it? How could he do it? Quite simply, he says, I can do. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul began with the affirmation, I can do. How often do we approach something with an I can't attitude? I can't put up with this any longer. I can't stand it anymore. I can't take it. With that attitude, we'll never be content. Paul said, I can. I can handle it. I can manage. I can make do. No matter what, I can do. I can get along with much. I can even go hungry. On the other hand, I can live successfully in prosperity. I can avoid the pitfalls of wealth and independence. You know, Jesus said it was easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. He also made it clear that with God all things are possible. God can get a camel through the eye of a needle. And God can get a rich man into heaven. So I can do. I can remain faithful and trusting and dependent on him even when I'm prosperous. In fact, I can do all things. There's nothing I can't do. Now let's keep that in Context. The context is contentment. You know, that's a verse that we like to quote. We emblazon it on T-shirts. We make posters out of it. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The context of that phrase is being content in all things. It's not about being able to accomplish anything we want to do. It's not about setting goals or positive thinking or guaranteed success in business or athletic ventures. It's about being able to handle whatever comes our way. It's an affirmation that nothing can rob me of contentment. Nothing can steal my joy from life. I can handle anything. I can handle the good times and 
the bad times. I can handle poverty and prosperity. I can handle sickness and health. I can handle life and death. I can handle it all through Christ who strengthens me. I'm not self-sufficient like the Stoics. I'm Christ-sufficient. He gives me the strength to handle life and to handle it victoriously. He is the source of my contentment. I know He is in control. That He will provide for my needs and that He will see me through. I'm content because I'm secure in Him and in His love. I'm content because I know that no matter what happens to me now, the future is secure. I love the way J.B. Phillips paraphrases Paul's powerful affirmation of that. In Romans 8. In my opinion, whatever we may have to go through now is less than nothing compared with the magnificent future God has planned for us. The Spirit of God not only maintains this hope within us, but helps us in our present limitations. For example, we do not know how to pray worthily as sons of God, but His Spirit within us is actually praying for us with those agonizing longings which never find words. And God, who knows the heart's secrets, understands, of course, the Spirit's intention as He prays for those who love God. Moreover, we know that to those who love God, who are called according to His plan, everything that happens fits into a pattern for good. In face of all this, what is there left to say? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not grudge His own Son, but gave Him up for us all... Can we not trust such a God to give us with Him everything else that we can need? Who would dare to accuse us whom God has chosen? The judge himself has declared us free from sin. Who is in a position to condemn? Only Christ. And Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. Christ prays for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can trouble, pain, or persecution? Can lack of clothes and food? Danger to life and limb? The threat of force of arms? No! No! In all these things, we win an overwhelming victory through Him who has proved His love for us. I have become absolutely convinced that neither death nor life, neither messenger of heaven nor monarch of earth, neither what happens today nor what may happen tomorrow, 
Neither a power from on high, nor a power from below, nor anything else in God's whole world has any power to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That, my friend, is the secret of contentment. The blessed assurance that Jesus is mine keeps me content. If he's yours, he can keep you content as well.